Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Stacy and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Idris Bumush, NHL cap slash contract consultant. Having not known him before this conversation, Idris was able to break down this side of hockey operations with great detail and outline his approach to entering the industry, which is not an easy thing to do. Possessing passion and an impressive work ethic, he is diligent in his approach and the conversation offers a lot of insight and guidance for our viewers. With that, I am happy to present Idris Bumush, NHL cap slash contract consultant. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Idris Bumush, CAP and Contract Consultant. Idris, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you, Ryan, for having me. Yeah, I am ecstatic to have you on. Uh, we talked here a little bit beforehand, and you offer uh, one of the, I'll say, more interesting um, components of the podcast thus far in, in CAPology and things like that. So uh, there's a lot to un- uh, unpack here, and um, you know, we'll get into some players and things like that. But uh, maybe just start off about talking about yourself, uh, give me a little bit of your background and maybe talk about uh, playing sports or anything like that uh, early on. Yeah, sure. So so I was born in Morocco. Um, we moved to Montreal. I was two years old. So, so I grew up in the West Island uh, of, of Montreal. Um, so as, as a young, young hockey fan, I kind of got onto the Patrick Waugh bandwagon and, um, you know, always been fascinated by the the, the goaltender position. Um, always kind of was a student of the game in that sense. And uh, as a young, um, young person, I, I was playing a lot of soccer. So that was, that was a sport that I was heavily involved in. And uh, I actually, funny, I only started to skate at age 12. So um, I think that's, that was around kind of uh, peewee back in the days. Um, and then by the time I, I kind of got that down, I didn't know how to skate when I first joined, um, you know, my, my first hockey team. So um, you know, the integration to the game was, was a bit of a rough one and um, something that I, I kind of just worked through. And then I started to get pretty decent and understand how to put the puck in the net. Um, and then I, I suffered an injury when I was, um, when I was uh, about 15 years old. So that kind of, you know, set me back a bit. Uh, and, um, you know, from there on, I, I kind of put hockey very recreationally on the back burner, um, focused on school and, um from there, I uh, I went to uh, to Queen's University, where where, where I studied um, finance and and kind of got into the uh, the professional uh, professional journey um, 
like that. But hockey was always a, a big part of, uh, uh, of, of my life and my passion. Yeah, for sure. It definitely plays a part for a lot of the guests uh, early in their careers and in their life. And um, it's interesting to hear that it didn't start until you were 12 years old, but, uh, you know, a pretty good team to follow, Patrick Waugh, and everybody knows his name and the, the progression he's had. And I'm sure it would be interesting to do a, a, you know, a cap analysis of what would have been their situation when he won there in Colorado. Uh, that'd be a nice project to kind of look back if the, if the cap was around then. But, uh, you know, just interesting to hear those uh, early inspirations and uh, kind of your thoughts around the game at that point. So you talked about going into school, then uh, you would do commerce and recently you've, uh, or more recently, I should say, some sport management stuff. Uh, just talk about kind of your thought process in, in the classroom and uh, yeah. how those paths kind of prepared you to, uh, you know, venture into sports uh, here in yeah. your career. So I've, I've always been passionate by the business of sports. Um, to me, I, I saw the high level picture and I wanted to acquire the skills to be effective and in, in what would hopefully be, um, be a long-term career for me. So, so I started uh, at Queens University where I, where I took uh, commerce and specialized in finance um, and then, um, from there on, um, you, you've mentioned, I'm, I'm now taking a sports management post-grad, uh, program at HSC Montreal, which is a fairly new program. And, and the idea really is to do everything that's within my control to acquire different skills, different knowledge, um, different strategies to go back to adding value. And kind of that's, you know, always been my mantra is, um, bring value and as much of it in a clear way as you can. So very fortunate to have been part of those programs and, um, you know, met a lot of amazing people that, you know, have a lot of experience and have been able to kind of guide me through understanding the um, different intricacies of, of, of these industries. And, and you kind of start to un unpack the box of business and very quickly, you can very realize that it's, it's a very complex um, space to operate in and, and knowledge is power. And I think the reality is everybody's looking for a competitive advantage. So you got to kind of take it on yourself to to put yourself in those positions where, where you can be successful. And it was important for me at, at a young age to kind of leave Montreal a little bit and, and, and grow and spread my wings um, in a different, uh, different city. Um, I studied in French pretty much all the way through, uh, through Sejap. So there's a bit of an adaptation around, um, you know, studying in English. And, and I think just that kind of early adversity um, in, in my kind of adventure and career um, has set me up to, to operate a certain way. So um, I think that you can, you can thrive off being super hard worker. And, and as long as you're passionate about what you're learning and you're willing to, to make the sacrifices. And even if that means putting yourself in situations where you're not comfortable and, you know, certainly struggled at times with, you know, simple things like pronunciations or, or English grammar at first. And, you know, quite frankly, I think that there's all always, um, you know, something in the back of my head that I just continually want to improve. So you kind of get yourself uh, a big condition at, at kind of a young age. And, and I think for a lot of the young people listening in, I think, you know, there's so much that what you're doing at the university year or even before that, that can kind of shape you and, and how you, you, you see the world. So, um, you know, I've been super fortunate to have, you know, a number of, of, of mentors and, and professors just kind of guide me along the way. And, um, you know, you kind of put that together with the work ethic and, uh, you know, the puck is going to bounce where, where, where it's supposed to. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I think uh, it's pretty evident that you have the work ethic and, and the commitment there. Um, I found it hard coming from Newfoundland with my accent and, and going into Ontario and things like that. So uh, with a complete different language barrier, uh, I mean, that must have been very tough. But 
um, you know, we, we've seen the progression in your career here and, and I've kind of gone through your resume and seen that it's worked out for you. And uh, I, li I like the point that you make about the professors and people helping you along the way. And, um, you know, in any, in any career, hockey and, and sports especially, uh, you really do need those people on your side and, and multiple people to, um, you know, help you be successful in whatever capacity. So uh, you had a couple of different experiences outside of the game of hockey. And I just want to talk about those before we go into uh, some more hockey talk specifically. So uh, cool. let's just start with uh, Tennis Canada and kind of just give us the rundown of uh, your involvement there. Yeah, for sure. So so just to kind of give you some context, I was always keeping my eyes open for any type of high stage event that was in my city in Montreal. Um, so obviously we have the Rogers Cup. Um, we've, we've hosted uh, a few times the World Juniors Championships, the All-Star Game in Montreal. So being passionate about sports and, and, and pro sports particularly, I always wanted to make it a point to um, get involved, um, even if it's, you know, volunteering. So that's, that's kind of how I got involved with, um, with Tennis Canada. And you kind of get an opportunity to see a lot of the, you know, operations from the inside. So with Tennis Canada, my role was around marketing and activation. So you kind of see how, how brands and sponsors want to engage with different fans that either increase awareness or, or, or drive sales to their products and, and build, you know, meaningful conversations with, uh, with their target audience. Um, so I was uh, kind of a, a young professional that, that, that was kind of a runner there and um, great, great opportunity. I think that there's so much energy around, um, you know, those types of, of big scale event with, with the crowd and, and the players and, and the competitiveness of, uh, uh, of the event that just kind of resonates um, strongly with me. It just seems to kind of sync with my inner, you know, soul uh, frequencies a little yeah. bit. Um, and then I had this really cool, um, unique opportunity to intern for the FIFA U20 um, World Cup that we hosted in, um, uh, in Montreal. So that was, uh, just to give you an idea, Neymar played um, played in that one so you get wow. all these kind of um now you know superstars and uh and, and huge faces of the game so um you know my role over there was was to do a lot of uh, on the ground um awareness and marketing as well so we we actually did like a lot of rounds around um different um stadiums and soccer plexes in the montreal area um just to kind of drum up the fact that we had this like major international event coming through and making sure that people were aware and, and i think that we filled up the olympic stadium pretty much every single day that that we had games so um i think just kind of being one part of this huge huge wheel you kind of really get a great opportunity from the inside to see you know things from logistics security um simple as you know getting food to the players or, or getting them to and from the hotel and then, you know, different sponsors have different types of activations and there's a logistics involved in that. Um, obviously, the, the, the soccer operation side of, of things was, was something that I was able to, uh, to kind of view. So just kind of at a young age, being kind of on the other side of the curtain a little bit and then really realize um, the scale and the complexity of sports organization just kind of fueled me when I went back in the classroom um, to look at things from a different lens. Although, you know, we would have um, examples that were... Um, you know, about different types of industries, whether it's financial services, construction, um, you know, whatever you have, um, I think that you can kind of bring it back to me personally, it was all, always like around sports. And that was kind of one way for me to assimilate the content. It, it was just something that would come naturally to me. And I think that when you're able to kind of align that passion and then that exposure, like a lot of really great things can, can come out of it. And um, you can start to kind of expand your horizons and, and start to think a little bit differently. And I think that's really where kind of the magic starts to happen. And 
um, you know, I've, I've listened to a lot of, of the guests that you've had um, over the past few weeks and, and certainly kind of a common theme that getting that exposure at a really young age or putting yourself in those positions just goes in such a long way and, and giving you that confidence that, you know, this is an environment that I want to be in and this is an environment where um, I think I can be successful. And I think that, you know, as, as you're kind of progressing as, as a young person, um, just like a goalie, confidence is, is everything and, and it's very much a mental game. So um, those opportunities were, were tremendous. Yeah, it, they sound amazing. And I think anytime, as you touched on, that you can go into a mega event uh, like those events, uh, especially near your home or near your school, uh, you know, that's a, an opportunity that you really don't want to miss out on. Uh, and you said that sport was a way for you to kind of connect what you were learning in school and really, uh, you know, grasp those key concepts. Uh, I think that's kind of the reason I went into sport management. It was for me, um, if you were going to teach me about finance, event management, human resources, things like that, I wasn't going to learn it unless you were talking about a hockey team, a soccer team, a yeah. baseball team. That's just, that was just the way I worked. So, um, you know, I, I did some events like that. One I, I haven't really talked about on the podcast was working uh, with a Scotiabank activation at the World Cup of Hockey. I think it was two weeks into my program and um, I had a, a cousin living in downtown Toronto. So I went there and uh, maybe I was a little bit immature thinking I was going to be in the arena with Crosby and Price and all those players. But no, I was in uh, in the fan village, uh, you know, signing people up for credit cards and things like that and taking pictures uh, with the electronic hockey uh, screen behind us. But uh, you know, for anybody that's looking to get into the, you know, the, the more glorious hockey operations side or soccer operations, things like that. I think it's really good to understand the key roots of the game, the fan engagement, because at the end of the day, it's an entertainment industry. Yeah. And, um, you know, just having that exposure to that side of the business uh, really opens your eyes. And, and for you, especially capology and things like that, when it comes down to the money, uh, you know, that's where it's coming from. That's the grassroots level of it. And yeah. Uh, that's in, that experience is really invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all really intertwined, right? So, you know, to me, it gave me the opportunity to try different things um, in the, uh, across different roles of the organizations and kind of see what I liked and what I didn't like. Um, so to me, those were kind of really great trial runs that, you know, it's pretty easy to sign up, um, but you don't know where you're going to end up. Right. So yeah. Um, you know, for, for uh, the World um, Junior Championships in, in 2014, I, I was a security person. Um, so I just had to make sure that, you know, people don't go where they're not supposed to around the Bell Center. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're very far from kind of um, the glorious uh, conversation that you're overhearing the elevator, or, you know, between um, GMs and, and, and things like that. So um, I think, you know, you put yourself in a position where, by trying all these different things, it was just very clear to me that kind of my skill set and what I was learning at school and what I was passionate about was, was the economics of the game of hockey. And um, I've always been kind of drawn to the sales and negotiation side of, of business as well, being um, kind of an entrepreneurial mindset. So um, I can't say that, you know, without those opportunities, I think that um, my resolve and, and, and my passion for, for, you know, what I'm doing right now and, and how I got to um, to building the hockey code, um, certainly a direct result of, of me kind of going through the reps by doing things that, you know, aren't, um, you know, cap management or, yeah. or the side of hockey ops. So uh, that, that was always something that, um, you know, when you look back, um, I think sometimes you don't fully grasp or appreciate what you're learning and, and how that's going to influence you in the future. But um, again, for a lot of the young people that, that are tuning in, 
um, you know, put yourself in those positions and there's so much that you can learn, even if you don't know that you're learning them kind of in real time. So that's certainly one of the key takeaways that, um, that I can take and, and, and would encourage. Yeah. And again, I'll reiterate that, uh, invaluable, invaluable experience that, uh, are very easy to get into. And as you touched on there, it's not always as glamorous, you know, you're, you're doing security and just pretty much making sure people don't go where they're not supposed to go. And, yep. uh, maybe let's talk about the world junior championship a little bit more. Uh, I, I, you know, people in hockey know the impact, uh, you know, economic impact, but you know, the, the morale in Canada around that event, yep. it's a, uh, it's an electric event and, I'd put it up there with uh, the Olympics, you know, in terms of the magnitude and coverage and things like that. Um, maybe just talk about the overall experience of being in that event and um, what you've seen uh, kind of just having an outlook on the uh, event overall. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, growing up, growing up in Canada, um, you know, Christmas time, it's, it's a tradition, right. And, and, and it has been, um, you know, for, for decades. So, to be involved and, and we were really fortunate because it was announced that we were hosting two years in a row, 2014, 2016, alongside with Toronto. Um, so it was, it, it was such a treat and um, you kind of see a lot of, of the behind the scenes. I think that people, um, the organizing committee, um, Hockey Canada, they, they really, um, and, and I could even compare it to FIFA, they go above and beyond to make everybody feel part of the family. And it's, you know, we're putting up an event, but we're doing it together. And I think that's something that, you know, in sports, the camaraderie and, and the family um, dynamics um, is certainly something that is, is extremely important. So um, for me to have been exposed to that and, and seeing how those leaders implement different ways to engage people that, you know, they're not being paid to watch the door or, um, for example, in 2016, I was involved in um, organizing kind of that Adam tournament that was kind of a satellite around, uh, you know, we ran it in Shadow Gay, which was on the South Shore of Montreal. So um, it's a great opportunity to also um, have a lot of these grassroots events and engage the, the next generation of, of young Canadians um, and, 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 and their parents. So um, you kind of realize that it's, it's a great platform to do a lot of positive in the community. So um, again, just to be kind of a very tiny, small part of all of that and, and realizing the importance of you know, your involvement and, and the time that you're spending it's not going to make any difference kind of, you know, in the immediate future, but it's, it's going to give a confidence to a young kid who's, who feels like he's on a big stage when, you know, he's on a local rink and it's, um, you know, treated as a professional kind of event where, um, you know, from getting the, the, the referees to give the pregame chat in, in the room or, um, you know, bring them their own water bottles and, 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 you know, give them the swag and, you know, having the, the names called out when, when the goal is scored and the music and the fans have kind of, you know, all this like activation material to be loud in the building. Like those are, are, are things that are like super powerful and, and being a young dad right now, I, I kind of can see that through the eyes of, of my own kids that, um, you know, if you can make them dream, like, you know, you know, this is the next generation of Canadians and, and they're going to be leading our country. So if we're able to, to, to make them believe at a very young age that, uh, you know, they're worth it, and, um, and, and their experiences, their culture, um, the way that, um, you know, they've been brought up is, is all valued as one big family and one big community. I mean, you know, for, for first generation Canadian like myself, I think, um, you know, it makes me proud to, to be able to, to give back through those events. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a real treat to, uh, to get involved in, in, in those two world championships. Yeah, it really shows the power of sport and, and how much of an impact it has outside the game. And 
uh, for me personally, you know, one of the players that we'll talk about later was one of, of my introductions through an event, uh, not on the magnitude of the world juniors, but, um, you know, just seeing those players in that high level uh, inspired me to kind of uh, move into the NHL and really start following the game and, you know, the junior system and kind of how I got here where I am today. But um, like, you know, you, you hit the nail uh, on the head there in the way that, uh, you know, just inspiring, you know, younger players to get involved and be a part of a team and, and see that, uh, you know, an event can be so much more. And, and you know, like I said, with uh, their names being called and the, the music when they score a goal, like little things like that really do yeah. play a part um, in a future product. So, uh, again, it just makes me proud that that event has been so successful and continues to be a, a major part of it in Canada and, you know, many other countries around the world. Uh, yeah. growing more so in recent years. So that's great. Uh, but now maybe we'll move into uh, another interesting topic in, in capology and things like that. So uh, maybe start by talking about the hockey code and, you know, your, uh, your overall idea behind that. Yeah, sure. So, so I launched a hockey code about four years ago. Um, the, the overarching kind of theme there was, was taking what I knew really well, which was finance, um, technology and sales. And then um, kind of mixing it all up into a value proposition for, for, for the hockey industry. Um, so referring back to um, kind of all the different things that I've, I've um, experienced in volunteering positions, um, you kind of quickly realize when you're applying for jobs that the jobs that I wanted to work in, they're typically not published, um, hyper competitive. So um, I kind of just took it upon myself to not ask for permission to work in the industry, but just um, roll up my sleeves and and build something of value. And and I wouldn't have been able to do that without early mentorship from a lot of people. So, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I kind of wanted to do was was really kind of bring that that stock market mentality to decision making. So, sell high, um, buy low, um, looking at the long term and short term financial impact of a decision whether that's on dollars in terms of salary being paid out to the player or cap hit. So those are kind of different things. Um, and then you're looking at um, also the sales aspect of it. So you're an agent, you got three, four teams that are interested in, 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 in your client. Well, how do you navigate through that negotiation process? How do you increase the demand while you've got limited supply? So it was really, um, the idea was to make um, front office executives have access to the right information to make better financial decisions. And my day job was, was kind of um, personal finance product comparison. So you kind of look at hockey players and, you know, their assets that you can also compare. Um, so that, that was kind of the idea behind it and um, spend the better part of two years, just kind of learning a lot about, you know, what is currently being done, um, developing my algorithm and, and, and learning how to code to some extent. So um, you know, my skill set certainly grew from from that experience, and and it was really coming from a place of passion because I figured, you know, what I'd, I'd probably be doing this anyways, um, just because I'm passionate about it. And I think um, you get to a stage in, in the kind of journey where, like, it's a lot of work to go out and crunch this data and then make it work, and then try to automate it, and then how do you make the output applicable to the way that the CBA kind of um, outlines the rules of the game? So it's it's something that. Um, to me, I, I just found very early on, like, you know, it was a large mountain, but, um, I had a belief in myself 
and um, to be you know perfectly transparent, it's it's not as as glorious all the time, but that's okay because I really enjoy this. Um, and then you know having conversations with with a lot of people that I would quite frankly didn't really think would you know answer me because you know you, you, we know right hockey people are are in very high demand. They have a very stressful job. Everybody wants uh, wants a piece of their time, right? So. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate that, you know, long and behold, uh, some of them responded, some of them gave me, you know, that half an hour or, or 20 minute phone call to just kind of hear, you know, what am I doing? How am I going about it? Why am I doing it? And then kind of getting that early market validation that like, Hey, you know what, like, this is something that, that, you know, we see value into. And that was really kind of up to me to go out and execute it. So um, you kind of, you kind of look back sometimes, you know, four years ago and, you know, where I've gone today and, and, and all the, the friendships and, and relationships that I've been able to, um, to nurture over time, um, you know, certainly grateful and, um, you know, by, by no stretch am I, uh, have I made it? I, I still am very cognizant that there's always a ton to learn and there's still ways to go. But, um, you know, in terms of, of, of working hard without seeing results in the short term was certainly something that I'm, I'm glad that I stuck with it. And, and now we kind of, um, can do a lot of, of really cool stuff ahead of contract negotiation. So I've kind of found my niche. I think looking at the game from a financial lens was, was really kind of where I was coming from and um, be able to offer um, insights and actionable recommendations that would be leveraged in a competitive advantage was certainly kind of the objective and, and something that is still very true today. Um, so my, my vision around, um, you know, Vegas coming through um, now we have Seattle in the league. So, you know, the marketplace is very dynamic, um, which always keeps you on your toes. And, and the NHL is such a fast paced league. So you got to be able to kind of think quick on your feet and, and also kind of, um, you know, know historically why and how decisions have been made as that gives you an indication when you have a specific case or a situation, well, what is the best route to maximize not only the, the result for the player, um, but you also want to be cognizant of the relationship and the trust between team and players. So to me, a win-win deal is, is when both parties are happy and both parties have that flexibility um, in the medium and, and long-term as well. So always kind of keeping that, um, that sales uh, mentality that I've been able to nurture in my professional career um, and just kind of translate that into um, the philosophy that I bring through the hockey code, um, you know, has, has been something that I've been trying to keep uh, top of mind and, and be deliberate about. For sure. And uh, I, th I think the key thing about that, that whole spew there was the fact that you were able to keep at it and, and fight through that learning curve, which in some areas, and I've gone through the experience uh, coding is one that just, it's, it's tough. And especially when it's, um, you know, maybe in the moment, you're not able to see the end goal, it, it can be uh, that much harder. So the fact that you're able to keep digging through and, and do so much study in an area that, you know, for a lot of the a lot of it really isn't developed publicly. You're not able to just go up and, and do watch a presentation on YouTube or uh, pick up 20 books. You know, there might be that one book yeah. that gives you a little bit of an insight or, uh, you know, you got to make those cold calls and, and hope for the best on the other end. And then yeah. in an area that, you know, can be secretive in many regards, it's, it's tough to gain that extra information, um, you know, maybe like analytics in that way. But I, I still think the, the public information isn't always there about it. So, uh, a, a lot of great learning points there. And I think, uh, like you said, it's always good to see the flexibility um, from both sides in a, in a decision and, and things like that. And 
um, you know, that's the whole reason you kind of work with these things from a team perspective or from, you know, a player agent perspective is seeing that product at the end of the day. Uh, before we move into the player deals, another question came to mind that I wanted to run by you. Um, yeah. You know, for in the process of learning, you look at a lot of past deals and, um, you know, history to try to almost comprehend uh, what's going to happen in the future. But then you have a situation where maybe an expansion team comes out of nowhere or, uh, you know, one of these deals completely throw off the market. How, for you studying that area, how hard is it to almost like go back and like relearn a process when it's something like that comes out of the way and almost like messes up what you've learned before, if that makes sense? Yeah, so to me, I've always adopted the perspective that the marketplace is never static. It's always dynamic. So I expect things to, to change. And um, one of the, the elements that was really kind of important was um, keeping that door open for, for different um, curveballs, if you will. But the reality is, right, it's supply and demand. And just like in the financial markets, the markets aren't necessarily always rational. And sometimes there's decisions that are being made because a GM or, or a team um, or an agency for that matter are seeing something that nobody else is, right? So to me, kind of a team coming through like Vegas in the league, like I saw that as an opportunity to be relevant because in my mind, the marketplace is no longer um, the same, right? It's a different, it's a different, uh, different game altogether. And there's now, now there's 32 buyers and 32 sellers. So just like, um, you know, Econ 101, you kind of look at that supply and demand. It's, it's, it's something that's very difficult to quantify. Um, having been a, a sales professional for, uh, for close to a decade now, you, you kind of realize that there's intangibles that will influence the decision, a decision or a negotiation. So I think that um, having gone through those reps, working financial services, um, negotiating six-figure deals with, with banks, you kind of realize um, you know, the bigger the deal, the, the more, um, it's about, you know, perceived value and projected value, which there is no, absolutely no guarantee. Um, and, and that's something that is a common theme throughout kind of finance and, and, and pro sports. You're just doing your best educated guess, and you're making sure that you're being proactive about mitigating your risk. And, and that's really kind of where I, I, I come in and bring value to, to the process is, is really having that comprehensive research that will outline all of these different leverage points, all these different types of scenarios or strategies that we can deploy. And now based off of the long-term vision um, of the organization or you know, what the player would like to do for, for himself and his family over the long-term, um, that's where you have people that, that have been very successful in the game kind of navigate through that decision-making process. So, so I don't pretend to, to know everything and, and I fully recognize that there's things that are um, outside of, of A, my control, or B, information that I don't have access to. So I really just try to work off of, um, you know, the data set that I'm able to, to, to gather. And um, I've been very fortunate to, um, to have been able to develop um, great, uh, great relationships that, that are, are adding, um, you know, different uh, arrows to, to kind of my bow in, in the sense of, of how to, to read a situation and, and, and what may have influenced it. And, and certainly to your point earlier about, um, you know, confidentiality is, is, is such a, a key um, component of, of, of what I do. And, and um, you know, going back to, you know, what I was saying earlier that, you know, everybody wants to work in sports, everybody's passionate about it. Um, it's, it's important to build a trust with, with those people and those executives. Um, so the way that I've 
being able to do that was was just to be very proactive and, and transparent and, and genuine in my approach. And I think that people respect um, respect the hustle, um, for lack of better terms. And um, you just try to you know keep putting your best foot forward um, time after time at every single interaction. And you know, kind of my mantra is, is continually lead with value, respect people's time, appreciate people for you know, kind of showing you the ropes um, and, and taking you under their wing. And, you know, even if it's just giving you feedback for something that, you know, they may, um, you know, purchase or not, um, or consult with you in the future or not, I think, um, you know, the more relationships you have in the industry, well, the more value you can bring to the ecosystem. And I think that if you're able to do that, then you really uncovered a way to bring that competitive advantage that um, that is in high demand. And, you know, it's a competitive league. Everybody wants to win. So if I'm able to, um, to, to, to help in that sense, then, you know, to me, I think that I've, I've been able to, um, to bring value to, uh, to the community. Yeah. And it makes you feel part of the team in a sense in, in being yes. able to help that team, you know, make that key decision. And, uh, I like the way that you talked about the, uh, personable approach and things like that. And respecting the hustle is, is a term I've heard at a lot of different levels. And, um, you know, when I've been able to talk to NHL executives and when I've been able to talk to minor hockey coaches, you know, you, if you respect everybody's time and, um, you know, be personable and approachable in everything you do and without crossing that line, which, which is present in some areas, but, um, you know, anytime you can do that and have those conversations, it's only going to better everybody involved and uh, it's the best way to learn a lot of the times. So uh, for a lot of people who follow the NHL specifically, uh, there's two days that, or three days, I should say, that come to mind um, for a lot of different reasons and a lot of excitement. Uh, yeah. The trade deadline day, the entry draft, and then free agency. And free agency for you might have a little bit of a different feel and almost <laughs> a almost like a test day, if you will, in a way. So uh, maybe let's talk about a few different players who signed recently or are in a situation like that, and uh, maybe just give your thoughts on their whole situation. So. The first player I'm going to give to you is a, a player on a team that a lot of people follow, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, talk about Wayne Simmons. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, I think you may be taking a stab at me because I'm based out of Montreal. Because um, in this case, it, it has been reported that Mark Bergeron and the Canadian front office were, were made a pitch um, to Wayne Simmons. Um, I think it's a really interesting situation. I think you got a player here that that is a character player, brings a lot of leadership, size, and grit. Um, so certainly something that that. Um, you know, on, on the bottom six can, uh, um, can really move the needle. Um, I thought the way that this negotiation went down um, was really interesting. So, um, so he, he had arguably competing offers with Montreal and Toronto. Um, it was reported that Montreal offered allegedly a little bit more. Um, and then I think this is a good example where you see the player making a decision for himself and his family where money is not the primary focus. And I think when I, when I consult with uh, uh, with agents and teams, that's certainly something that is super important to keep in mind because it's not always about the production or the money. So having that that lens, when I look at at Wayne Simmons, you know, he wanted to be closer to his family. There was affinity with the market. Maybe his assessment of um, the Toronto Maple Leafs and 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 their culture and their group and you know things as um, I don't want to say trivial, but maybe not kind of as obvious would be maybe he prefers the training facilities in Toronto. Um, maybe, uh, maybe that's, you know, one of the things that was important to him in terms of commute and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think it's a great example of a player that's making a decision for himself and his family. And, um, you know, even if, uh, uh, if you went to the other, other team, <laughs> you kind of, 
Um, over the years, uh, I think the allegiance to you know specific teams and and the way you you're a fan versus um, um, you know an executive or a professional in the industry kind of changes the way that that you you look at these situations. So I can definitely appreciate your point about. Um, you know, free agency or, or trade deadline or even arbitration filing feels like an exam. Like, like it's, it was, it was more fun when I didn't have to do this much work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, Wayne Simmons was a player that was in the spotlight a lot because of, uh, you know, the connection to Toronto and the way the marker works. But, um, you know, having that little bit of time where uh, he knew he wasn't resigning and uh, with Montreal and Toronto, uh, two teams that with a heavy rivalry, as many people or, you know, pretty much everyone in hockey are aware of, um, you know, there's a lot of factors that he has to take into place. And he said things in the, in the media about, um, you know, wanting to be home and his kids having the opportunity to be in Toronto. And it could be something as simple as uh, the facilities or, or being close to home and with the pandemic and everything, there's so many different decisions. And, yes. um, you know, the, the thing that really interests me about it is that as much as you can speculate until you're in a position, maybe where yourself, uh, or an agent is behind the scenes. Uh, there's a lot of things that we don't get to know, but um, that's what makes it so interesting. And I'm sure it was a reason that uh, kind of drew you into to figure out what the thought process was and and what was influencing these decisions. So uh, yeah. th that's just kind of my thinking there. Uh, the next deal I want to go into uh, was actually a trade first and then seeing two players go in their opposite directions. Uh, that was Anderson with the Montreal Canadiens and Domi heading to the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. Maybe give a breakdown of the situation with the trade and then uh, maybe each respective player and just some of your thoughts around that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one of the things that I really like about this situation for both clubs is, is you're, you're also kind of getting a glimpse in the importance of the pecking order and the organizational needs that every team has and how front offices will make decisions based off of that. Um, so I know it's been reported that, you know, paying a third rounder on top of Domi um, may have felt expensive, but then you look at the marketplace, you had limited supply. Josh Anderson, I think is a player that combines a unique blend of, of size, speed, and skill, um, which is scarce in the marketplace. There's not a lot of players like that and, and, and they don't come, they're not available very often. So, um, you know, there's, there's certainly, a, a kind of a, a poker game a little bit when you're looking to acquire a player where there's a lot of, of bidders for him. And I think that's a similar situation that we can expect around the trade deadline and um, leading up to the draft. So um, not necessarily something that you can kind of look back and say like, okay, well, here are the prices for a 20 goal scorer or, um, you know, a second line um, centerman. Um, it also will depend on the state of the marketplace as it is at that point in time. So that comes back to, um, you know, empowering both agents and teams with that insight where they can make the right decision regardless of the state of, of the marketplace because they have the right data um, to, to, to be able to evaluate. So um, in this particular case, I mean, I, I really like the deal for, for both teams. Um, you know, Domi's coming in, he's going to be playing under um, Tortorella right behind uh, um, Dubois, um, who's, uh, who's actually negotiating a, uh, a contract as we speak. Um, and then it's interesting because the two-year deal walks him right through free agency. So all of the RFA years where he's arbitration eligible um, have been purchased. And typically when you have an asset, you kind of want to protect yourself 
ahead of the next negotiation. So it's, it's almost like you're playing a game of golf, right? Wherever your ball lands is going to affect your next shot and which, which club you're going to be using next. And I think in this particular case, you're seeing a lot of risk mitigation by um, Kekalainen, um, Columbus's GM in their front office. Um, because if it works out, then, you know, the player who's been um, across a number of organizations already, you're going to assume that Darren Ferris and, and his group at Cortex are going to try to keep him in, in the best situation possible. Um, but on the downside, if it doesn't work out, while well, you're not married to the player such long term that now you got to start having conversations with your owners around a buyout because, you know, we can't keep this deal on our books for the next two, three years, right? So kind of a bit of a um, different approach uh, with Josh Anderson and the Canadians. So, you know, it's been reported that, and this is kind of the stuff that I really enjoy because it, it really goes to the heart of, of, of the negotiation is, is, you know, what is your opening position? What is your ask? And how willing or flexible are you willing to move? So it's been reported that Josh Anderson said, hey, listen, it's either a one-year deal, which walks me into free agency, and you probably are not going to do that, or it's a seven-year contract, and now you got to commit um, to, to purchasing all these UFA years from me, and I get the security as the player. So, um, you know, I think it's a huge flex to be able to kind of pull that power move, and, and certainly something that I, I personally get really excited about is, is there are ways to be creative in the process? And I think that's, that's kind of um, what I always continually try to do is, is think outside of the box of, you know, what are some things that have been done in past negotiations, which would allow um, the outcome of this one um, to be optimal. And in this particular case, to me, I, I think the Canadians kind of play ball in a sense where they negotiated with, the assumption that he's a UFA. So they paid him as if he was a UFA. The only difference is that the agent kind of made the pressure that there was other teams circling for, for his services. And there's no doubt that a body, big body, um, you know, winger uh, with, with a heavy shot like Josh Anderson was going to get interest from teams like, like Boston. And I can see him being a great fit in Philly, like just by, by the way he he's a bruiser in that sense. And he's also able to combine speed and skill. Right. So um, to me, kind of getting in front of it and being able to lock him down before anybody else or your competitors can, like, to me, that's, that's some tidy piece of, uh, of business right there. Yeah. So many different things that you have to consider in a situation like that. And like you said, everybody sees the third round pick and, you know, they're ready to come with the pitchforks and the flames, but, uh, yeah, it really does, uh, differ, you know, based on situation, Montreal had the grit with Gallagher, but they were missing that big bodied right winger and, and Anderson was that and then some. And uh, Domi, like you said, a player that has moved around a little bit, but uh, maybe Columbus is the right place for him. It's a, you know, a, a dedicated coach in Tortorella who brings a different style than he's probably seen uh, in the past and um, a little less pressure in, in that market as opposed to Montreal or, or some of the places that he could have went uh, on the outside. So a lot of things to consider in that way. And uh, with Anderson, uh, that's an interesting take, you know, going in with a give me all or give me nothing kind of deal. Uh, and with a team like Boston, Philadelphia, both of those teams fit what he brings to the table. That's what they like. That's what their fans like. Uh, Vancouver is another team I thought about. The money wasn't there, but he has a connection to Bo Horvat and things like that. So maybe yeah. fit in their top six uh, with Toffoli moving out. But, uh, you know, that that really does bring it full circle in that it's not as simple as putting a pen to paper. There's 
so many different factors yeah. and, and, and so many things to consider there. Yeah, and I think like the other element too, it's, it's risk mitigation, right? What if Gallagher goes down and, you know, love Gallagher. I think he's, he's a fantastic professional, um, always been a fan of his game. You got to recognize that, and this is what something that for some reason I, I, I was always sensitive to. Um, I think that half of the league, they're one injury away from being a bubble team. You're one injury away from missing the playoffs. Like when Carey Price went down here in Montreal after that, that terrific 10 and one start, um, you know, that, that was kind of, it was a disaster. Um, you had that other season in Tampa Bay where Steven Stamkos, um, you know, was injured for a big part of the season. Then they barely um, missed the playoff as well. So the parody is not a buzzword. It's a reality. This is a really difficult, difficult league to win it. And you will have injuries. You're going to have slumps. Um, you just got to make sure that you've built yourself a team, a group that can kind of look after each other. And um, having different weapons in your arsenal can help you mitigate that, that risk of, I don't want to say if, but like when something goes down that, that is not, you know, according to the blueprint or, yeah. or to plan. So it's kind of being comfortable with that uncertainty and, and, and managing your, your roster and your cap with, um, with all of these different mitigation um, things that you want to mitigate in, and keep them in, in mind. So, yeah. you know, I think, I think that if you look at, um, you know, a lot of the general managers across the league, it's, it's very much long-term thinking, um, but you gotta, you gotta win games now. So it's kind of, how do you balance that? Um, and, and that goes back to having the right information to make better decisions. Um, knowing when to, you know, just like in poker, when do you call, um, when do you raise and, and when do you fold? Yeah. And that's a constant battle that sometimes it takes certain teams longer to see. And sometimes other teams uh, maybe need to spring into action a little bit quicker, but uh, you know, it, it's a very, very tough thing to, to notice. Sometimes it's, it doesn't always just stand right in front of you. There's different factors. Other teams could affect it a lot of times and decisions they make. So a lot of things to consider in that regard, but you know, mitigating risk for a team is so important. And uh, sometimes they got to think about, you know, should we go all in or, and, and take this risk for a high reward? And that's things that they have to juggle on a daily basis. But players also do that a lot of times going to free agency and, and different things along those lines. And sometimes we've seen players hit big and uh, maybe the performances uh, don't follow, but you know, they're paid yeah. and sometimes players bank on themselves and it doesn't work out, but a situation that I was very interested in and ironically uh, you brought it up before I was able to bring it to you was Anthony Duclair and his situation in Ottawa. So maybe yes. just talk about Duclair and the, uh, you know, your thought process around his current situation. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think Anthony Duclair is, is a professional that, that has demonstrated um, a growth in his maturity over the past few seasons. Obviously he's been, you know, involved in different organization from, from Arizona to, to, um, the Rangers and, uh, you know, a small stint in Columbus before ending up in Ottawa. So, um, you know, I just think back to, to myself as a young person being in different environments, so young and having to rebuild relationships and get comfortable like that can for sure become a distraction. And it, to me, it's, it speaks volumes, the way that he's been able to step up in Ottawa over this past season and in, in a team that, um, quite frankly, was, was probably built, um, kind of a step backwards to take two steps forward, which we've seen um, Ottawa and, and, and GM uh, Pierre Dorian do 
amazing splashes um, this off season. So um, to me, that's, that, that was kind of a deliberate um, approach um, very clearly, but you got a player here that represented the team, in the all-star um, all-star game um, granted in a young group um, that, that may maybe didn't have as much firepower as, as they could have. And, and, and we can say that with confidence as we look at um, all of the additions that were made this off season by, by the senators. Um, but to me, to be a young leader and, and be able to perform and, you know, consistency is, is obviously something that, that a lot of, of professionals are, are struggling with um, continually. I don't think that is something that you can, um, you know, call it in and say like, I've got it down. I think, you know, every single game, you got to make that kind of mental effort. And, you know, that's where you have, you know, the coaching staff and, um, you know, the player kind of investing in their own success. But um, to me, I think this marketplace for him is, is, is challenging. Although I think that he can bring a lot to an organization. I think that um, if I think, if I think back to a player, for example, like Ryan Strom, who, um, who had uh, different uh, stints in different organizations until he found his, his, his kind of niche and spot um, in, in New York. And, you know, I know he's got his arbitration hearing here in, in, in a few weeks. It just goes to show that the fit and the environment is so crucial. And I think for a young leader, like, like Anthony Duclair, who's, who's been able to, to experience success, he's been through adversity and, and, you know, his bounce back season, I think speaks volume to his character. So kind of boggles my mind a little bit, um, you know, why he hasn't found um, a team that, that, that sees that, that value and, and, and trusts him to give him that opportunity. Cause, cause I think where he's at in his career, he's earned it. And you can kind of start also drawing some parallels um, in terms of the type of person that he is by how he's carrying himself outside of the rank. I think that's also something that, that is really important to, to uh, an organization that's looking to build a culture and, and a team. So, um, you know, his involvement in, in the hockey diversity Alliance that, um, you know, their mission is to make our game more inclusive and, 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 and make everybody feel comfortable regardless of, um, you know, their background or, or, or their belief. I think that's, you know, just as a human being, like you cannot score a single goal in your life. I think you bring so much value to the community as a whole and the hockey family. And to me, I think that's, that's really, um, you know, it resonates for, for someone who, um, you know, was, was born in, in Africa and, um, you know, found the passion and the love for the game. And I think that that is so pure that if we're able to, um, you know, pay it forward for the next generation, I think that's, that, that makes everybody, um, everybody better. And, um, I also think that in his particular situation, you know, it's tough when you're negotiating for yourself without an agent, because, you know, you, you don't have that experience all the time. Um, understanding the process, like, you know, it took me a better part of two years and a half, just reading the CBA to understand what you can do and what you can do. And beyond reading it is understanding how to apply it. So in this particular case, you know, flat cap, he's a free agent. A lot of the teams probably, um, you know, are waiting for their ARB cases to kind of wrap up. And then, you know, they're going to focus on um, inking some of those ELC players that are coming through. So, you know, we're thinking Matt Barzal and Pierre-Luc Dubois, Sergeyev. Uh, so you got a lot of, of cases on the docket, if you, if, if you would. And that kind of has a domino effect in the marketplace. So, um, you know, you saw Hoffman, that's at large. Uh, Dadunov hasn't signed. So, there is no doubt that the supply for money is low and, and um, the offering of, of, of forwards in, in your top six, like you still got some pretty decent options that are available to you. It's just, where do you kind of find that middle ground where 
the team is not getting so much of a discount that the players feels like he's been robbed and he's not getting his fair market value. Um, and beyond the dollars and cents, I think it's about the opportunity and the fit in the organization. So, you know, sometimes taking like back to Wayne Simmons, taking a little bit less because he thinks he's going to thrive in that environment, you know, may, then that's the way that he thinks he's going to be successful. Then that's the decision he should make. But um, I think, I think you got a player here that can bring a lot of value, um, you know, give him the two, three years bridge or not bridge, but like medium term. Um, Cause nobody, nobody likes to, to, to be a suitcase. So just kind of thinking yeah. about, you know, how do we set up this, um, this dynamic um, offensive player in a position to be successful while removing the, the stress that comes with, I got to hit this free agency market all over again and all the uncertainty that comes through it. I mean, you know, it it's speaks volumes to, to be able to manage those things on a yeah. personal level. Yeah, it really is a lot to consider and a lot to go through. And, you know, they're making all this money, but, you know, it's a lot of stress regardless of the situation. And, um, you know, some players have kind of accepted the fact that maybe they have to uh, take a bridge deal or, or take a minor deal here in hopes that the situation and the marketplace will, you know, adapt from the pandemic and kind of progress moving forward. Uh, two players that come to mind for me are Tyson Berry. Uh, is Edmonton deal and um, you know Troy Stetcher in, in Detroit is maybe a little bit of a more playing yeah. time and and hope for another reward or re-sign there or whatever it may be but you have that situation but definitely interesting with Duclair having come from a team that was definitely set up to quote-unquote underperform but his numbers were I think better than anybody was expecting especially early in the season and uh, you know hopefully that opportunity will come when the dust kind of settles on arbitration and the, the RFAs and entry level guys looking for their second contracts. So a lot yeah. of, uh, you know, a lot of really interesting things to consider and everybody just looks at, okay, who signed and who didn't sign. But when you think about all the conversations and the numerous conversations that these GMs and their assistant GMs and um, everybody involved in the process, uh, people like yourself and the agents and, um, it's a chess match. It, it really is for, for months on end. And um, there's a lot of work that goes into the process. Yeah. I mean, you got to be deliberate and sometimes you get dealt cards um, when it's your turn to play and, and the cards weren't what you were expecting. So I think you got to be nimble and I think you got to be agile. And those are certainly things that you can kind of, um, you know, learn from, from the business world. And I, I know I certainly have, um, you know, in my entrepreneurial um, journey kind of came across those things and, and you have to navigate things that you didn't plan for and weren't necessarily ready, but that doesn't mean that there's not a solution. And I think just a skill of, of problem finding and not being rattled, I think just kind of getting that mental toughness um, ironed into you just, just gives you that ability to, um, to perform when you're asked because, um, you know, just sharing a few stories here. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be asked to uh, uh, put together negotiation briefs in a very, very quick kind of turnaround. Um, and obviously I'm going to say, yes, I can do it. Um, even if that means that I'm not sleeping for the better part of, of four days. Um, and you know, when you get that kind of out the door and, um, you know, you've, you've still been able to produce the output at the quality that, you know, I kind of hold myself accountable for. And, um, you know, I kind of want to make sure that, that my, my customers and my, uh, my clients can, can, rely on that that every single time the output is going to be top notch and things are going to be really easy to to understand the, all the information is going to be there and then you're going to have some recommendations that um, you know they can action upon um, 
you know, it, it makes me feel good that I've been able to, to contribute to the process. So that's, that's kind of where I, um, you know, try to keep, uh, uh, keep my focus on, even if it's, um, you know, a little bit less glorious work scouring through the CBA and um, <laughs> doing uh, all this uh, data mining and, and, and research and interpretation of the data for them. Yeah, it's a, it's not always, uh, you know, you don't get the recognition right away, but a lot of people definitely do appreciate the work and, uh, you know, team to see the results when the, the detail is put into action. And uh, for you, a lot of that learning came from a lot of books, a lot of reading articles and looking for different references and resources. Yeah. Um, maybe just thinking back, what are some of your favorite things to look at for uh, new ideas and reference, whether it's something as academic articles or even something as simple as hockey Twitter? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's probably no surprise. I'm, I'm a huge, uh, a huge reader of the CBA and terms of, of the MOU that, that has changed some of the rules um, and the process that um, decisions will, will, will be impacted by that. So that's really something that um, I continually spend time to, uh, to, to, to learn and interpret. Um, one of my favorite books um, with regards to um, just negotiation and, and leadership and management is, is The Art of, uh, of War uh, from uh, Sun Tzu. Um, so that that was one that uh, that was referred to me by by a hockey executive kind of early in my um, in my career and um, a lot of learnings there. So similar to kind of that chess match and, and understanding what is the landscape um, that you're facing and and what is the optimal way to um, to get to to your goal and 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 also motivate your your followers and and your staff and your team to to buy into that leadership vision. Um, the other book that uh, that's one of my favorites, um, a bit hard to, to find, but um, definitely a, a GM GM Bible. It's called Behind the Moves by Jason Ferris. I always keep that one close by. Um, absolutely love to be able to to read, um, you know, GMs over time, their philosophies, and there you go. So I know it's it's one of your favorites as well. Um, so that's that's one that um, um, that I really enjoy uh, reading and. Uh, continually read, um, you know, through stories. And, and I think what's great is the context of which you read something. And then when you come back to reading that material will really just crystallize the learning. You're going to be able to think about it differently. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big reader and, and I love to consume content and, and, and get better and uh, kind of invest in my own personal growth. And that was one of the reasons why I took this um, initiative to, 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 to learn about the sports management in the, I should say, Montreal post, uh, post-grad uh, program. Um, so those, those are a few books. Um, just looking at my library here, I, I got actually one for, uh, I think you may have some goalie fans or um, in, in, in the audience. So, so two books that, that are kind of hit close to home is um, Embracing the Grind and the Power Within from Mike Valley and Justin Goldman. Um, so that's really about kind of the mental side of the game and uh, be able to face adversity. So I've, um, I've always been passionate about the goaltender position and it's ex- extremely mental. So um, I need to be um, very deliberate and, 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 and sharp in my interactions when I'm uh, working with these hockey executives and, and be able to think and, and, and act um, professionally continually is, is certainly something that I is really important to me. And, and I want to continue to, again, keep putting my best foot forward and, um, you know, build my, my reputation and credibility across the league, um, you know, kind of conversation by conversation and certainly very much a long game and um, back to the passion. This is something that I'm, that I'm extremely passionate about 
um, you know, I love learning and, and I'm comfortable um, knowing that there's still much to learn and, and, and reading those types of books, um, you know, it, it just allows me to, uh, to keep growing. Yeah, and, and that continual growing is so key to success uh, in the game of hockey, especially in your area. And I don't know if you're like me, but I almost it's almost like a game trying to learn more and see what else you can uncover. And yes. uh, you never really know where that's going to come from. Sometimes it's an article and it could be the, the most random thing that pops up on Facebook or Twitter. But uh, if you can take something away from it, I, I find it's beneficial to at least look into it. And a lot of times it's in hockey, but like I said, it could be other things. So uh, one way that I like to learn um, and the, kind of the the reason for the podcast is I learn through conversation and a lot of times it's with mentors and things like that. So for you personally, who are some of your mentors who maybe helped you in different areas, uh, whether that be in sport or outside of it? And then what are some of the lessons maybe that they taught you through those conversations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no question that I'm not where I'm at if it wasn't for uh, mentors believing in me and, and taking me under their wing and um, showing me the ropes. So um, really, there's really kind of many people um, to particularly come up to mind. So when I was starting out with the concept of the hockey code, um, I was very fortunate um, to be involved in the hockey graphs mentorship program. Um, so it was something that they, they put on um, every single year. And, and I can't stress enough how much of a great networking opportunity that is for, for people who, who want to um, learn more um, from, um, from experienced hockey execs. So um, I, I was very fortunate to be able to, I got paired up with Matt Kane, which is, is, is now the director of analytics over the New Jersey Devil. But um, what he's been able to do for me was really give me the confidence that, you know, I may not know everything. I may not be, um, you know, a math PhD quant guy who can like design spaceships. And he really just allowed me to um, get outside of my comfort zone and feel comfortable um, going through the motions of, of growing and, and trying it out, even if you kind of feel a little bit starstruck from the outside looking in. Um, you know, I can say that now after, you know, four or five years of um, keeping my, my fingers on the pulse on the hockey Twitter, which is a great source of information for me, because um, I always got to um, stay sharp ahead of, of kind of new things. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm a tech uh, aficionado. So if, if there's new ways to, to, to do things that, that bring value, I mean, I'm, um, I'm always thirsty for that knowledge. Um, but yeah, Matt, um, you know, he did amazing things for me. He, he gave me the confidence. Um, he was a great sounding board and, and having someone like him be successful coming from the uh, public space and in an area, um, you know, his day job was in hockey, right? So it kind of gives you that hope that it's possible. It's doable. He's done it. It's someone that, um, you know, has been, you know, not just with me, I think his, his generosity is, is, is legend. Um, but, you know, for, for someone that was very cognizant of the hockey family being a very tight knit community and, um, you know, the information typically stays within that circle, you know, for very obvious reason. I mean, these are multi-billion dollar industries, um, you know, with, uh, with thousands, uh, tens of thousands of, of stakeholders and, 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 you know, families that are being affected at, at, at the very end of, of decisions, right? So, you know, I, I respect and appreciate and understand why it has to be that way. But from the outside looking in, like four, four or five years ago, it certainly feels like um, 
you know, a club that you just don't know how you're going to get your way in, inside of the lobby. So um, Matt kind of took me there and um, put me, pointed me in the right direction. And, um, you know, by all means, it was such a treat to be able to, to work on some projects and, and have a sounding board that you can show, show him. And he's like, think about this. What about that? And I always made it a point to come back with kind of a new and improved version. I'm relentless that way. Um, Cause it's a way for me to show my appreciation towards these insights and, and this mentorship. Um, I think someone who's taking time out of their obviously busy day and um, you know, there's probably a lineup of people that, that would love to, to, to speak with him. So I just really wanted to, and this is with everybody that's, um, that's been so generous with their time. I always want to, you know, do a ride by them and, you know, kind of putting that additional pressure on me just, um, you know, keeps me, keeps me going. And um, it's, it's also a way for, for me to, again, show my appreciation and, and, and my commitment. And I think people respond to that. Um, and they also respond to, you know, you going out of your way to get this, this knowledge. So uh, Matt was, was huge for me. Um, another, another person, um, a player agent, his name is Alain Hua from RSG Hockey. Um, so he's been a tremendous mentor for me, um, took me on his, under his wing um, to show me the ropes and, um, you know, develop my, my approach. And, 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 and as we spoke about, there's so many intricacies um, in these negotiation, in the process, the way the CBA is laid out is for a very deliberate reason. And, and those are the rules of the game. So someone like Alain, who's, who's been able to, to walk me through kind of some decisions and, and approaches and strategies really just keeps making my, my process better. And, um, you know, there's, there's no doubt that I'm, I'm extremely um, fortunate and appreciative of, of, of both of those um, great people to um, kind of pay it forward. And um, yeah, I just can't say enough, enough great things um, um, for them. And, and, you know, I think that there's, there's a lot of people too that, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Matt Barlow helping me out, learning how to run a database back in the early days or, um, you know, Emmanuel Perry, um, you know, we were working on an early version of, of, of the hockey code and, and, you know, running, running, you know, code and stuff like that. So um, I think the hockey community is, is very inclusive. I think that there's a lot of amazing, amazing people and something that I'm continually fortunate um, to be able to, um, to benefit from is, 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 is those, um, those people kind of taking the time to, to help me out and uh, listen to my madness a little bit. And um, so far they haven't been, uh, haven't been too tired to, uh, to work with me. So for that, I, uh, I definitely appreciate it. Yeah. You always need the people to hear the crazy thoughts. I know working in analytics, I get that sometimes talking with management, but um, yes. you know, it's, uh, it's part of the process. And Matt is, uh, you know, someone that I, I know well in the public sphere, know his name. I follow his work in the hockey graphs uh, mentorship program. I mean, if, if anybody's in that field and, and is looking for an opportunity, like, I don't think there is many better than that. And me personally, um, I thought about it. My opportunities kind of uh, overlapped the time that I was looking into it, but uh, you know, it's one of the best things that you can do out there. And anytime you can talk with scouts and, and agents and things like that with your other mentor, uh, it's also yeah. offers you another perspective on the game. And um, that's an opportunity that you shouldn't pass up as well. Yeah, and I've always tried to be proactive about sourcing um, these conversations in, in the most respectful manner. So, um, you know, I think I think some of my some of the things that I've been able to keep doing that have allowed me to to grow is 
is, you know, take the initiative um, approach with respect, respect their time, respect the fact that they may not reply to you. And, and if they do, um, you know, come prepared with very clear, you know, questions. And sometimes, for example, I'll, I'll be developing a, a, you know, a new approach and, and, and I want to, um, to get some feedback from, from people that are in the industry. Well, I, I asked them for like one or two things in the conversation. I think that staying focused is a great way to demonstrate to them that um, you value their time and, and you don't want to be like hockey executives. I think, um, you know, something that, and, and Matt really helped me with that is the last thing I wanted to do was be perceived as, you know, an angry Habs fan who's writing a blog in the darkness who doesn't know anything, right? So um, you kind of want to build um, your credibility over time. And to me, like, you know, I, I operate in, in, in high stakes negotiation and financial services and sales and, um, you know, credibility and reputation is everything. And, and you build that one conversation at, at the time and it's certainly a long game. So I, I really just kind of translated things that, you know, were successful there and, and into this. And um, I think that because I've been doing that for, for nearly a decade, it, it's kind of second nature. And, um, you know, as, as you progress in your career, you start really knowing what you're really good at and um, you start to excel and double down on those strengths. And that certainly has been something that that's been um, true for me as well. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, when you learn that you're able to put it into practice and uh, you know, a, as you've learned from others, I'm sure along the way and in the future, there's going to be people that come to you and learn from you uh, through conversations just like this. So as a final question, uh, if you could go back to yourself in time or talk to somebody who's looking at the world of capology and wants to get into it, what's one piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they'd be successful? Yeah. I mean, um, I think the one thing is, is, is roll up your sleeve because it's a lot of work. Um, and even if the work doesn't feel like, I think passion only gets you up to a certain point. And then after, after that point, work ethic kicks in. Um, I don't know if you can win off simply passion, just like a hockey player, right? You can be the most talented player in the world, but if you're not showing up to practice or, you know, working on your face-offs on your weak side, you're not growing. You're just going to hit that plateau and you're going to stay there. And I think what's beautiful about the NHL and, and, and the environment of pro sports is, you know, the bar is continue, continually being raised, if not by you, by your competitor. And I think the competitiveness and the drive um, can definitely kind of power you through, um, you know, part of the process that isn't necessarily always fun. But to me, I just stick with it, um, especially if you don't see the, the results. Um, you know, I was very fortunate that, you know, somehow I didn't just give up or, you know, say this data spreadsheet is crazy and nobody's going to care and just kind of talk myself off of the ledge. So I think just kind of jumping and hoping that I'm not going to hit the ground too soon. Um, it's kind of that, that feeling where you don't know what's going to happen, but there's an inner drive that somehow just keeps the engines going. Um, so to me, it's, you know, one of the things that you know, I share it with, um, with, with young people and, and, and people looking to get into this business is, is you got to go through the reps. You got to put in the work. The fact of the matter is your first version is not going to be your best version. And, and like, that's okay. Um, you know, certainly was the case for me. So continually improving and, and being comfortable with that. Um, I think you also have to realize that like, it's never going to be done. The grind is never going to be done. Like it's just not going to happen because it's a competitive league. 
there's 32 front offices that are already doing some form of contract negotiation process, right? So I got to really be deliberate about driving that additional value so I can be, you know, continually relevant and, um, and top of mind. So for that to happen, you kind of got to get obsessive with the process a little bit, yeah. uh, whether that's sane or not, like debatable for another podcast, perhaps. Um, but I definitely do think that it's important to realize, like, why are you doing this? Are you okay with the results not coming short term? Um, is this something that you're truly passionate about? Um, and, and sometimes it's about realizing the bigger picture. Um, you know, you know, we, we, I have two kids, um, you know, they're the center of my world. My family is, is what's most important about, um, you know, I've been so fortunate to have a support system, you know, beyond my, my mentors, um, you know, from my spouse, my family, to my friends, um, kind of continually support me. So I definitely think that the people that you surround yourself with will have a direct impact on whether or not you're going to make it to where you want to go. Um, because sometimes you're going to doubt yourself and like, that's totally okay. Sometimes you're going to feel like, um, you're not, uh, where you want to be just yet, or there's no way this is going to work. I mean, I haven't played hockey at a pro level, a single minute, the closest thing to pro hockey was going to the bell center and then cheering for the home team. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious that I'm looking in the mirror and I'm looking at, at the marketplace in terms of who's got these jobs and who's involved in these front offices, like there's no question that you're seeing a majority of, um, you know, hockey players. I think just recently Trevor Daly was, was added as, as uh, Pittsburgh's hockey ops um, department. Um, but you got these success stories like uh, Sam Ventura who, who started a public platform, um, Eric Tolsky in, in Carolina, who's got amazing influence on that organization. So um, even if those people um, are more on the stats side, if you will, and not so much kind of on the finance or, or sales and negotiation side. I think it just goes to show that, hey, maybe it's okay to have a, a perspective that's different. Maybe it's okay to um, bring um, a different lens, but as long as you're focused on driving value and as long as you're genuine about your approach and um, you know, you're going through the motions of, of, of learning, reaching out to people, getting their insights, um, just don't be your worst enemy and shoot yourself in the foot, right? But there's no doubt you're gonna doubt yourself along the way. That's totally normal, and I think that that adversity will only make you stronger in the future. So, um, probably going on a rant here. I know you asked me to say kind of one thing, but <laughs> um, I think that there's a few few elements that that for me I think um, can kind of move the needle in the right direction. And I think the ability to be committed, um, coachable, take the feedback. Because the reality is they're probably going to say that it's, it's not where it needs to be sometimes. And going back to the drawing board and having that diligence and discipline to, to do that and, and not taking it personally. So I think that that's something that, you know, for me, again, leading with value, you, it's a mindset, it's an attitude, it's something that you can do um, through multiple ways. And, um, and, and if you've got a support system of people who believe in you, I mean, outside of hockey, regardless of what you're doing, um, you know, confidence is such a powerful driver. If you take confidence and you take the work ethic um, and you sprinkle a little bit of obsession and um, innovation, like it's a pretty intense recipe. What, uh, what yeah. can come out of that? Yeah, you really, uh, you really have to put so many different factors into play and, and drive that value and hard work. And 
in terms of sanity, I think it's uh, pretty clear that people who are successful in hockey, you know, sanity is out the window. It's a, uh, it's a passion and a commitment. And when you can mirror it with, uh, you know, good family life and all those things, uh, you know, wherever you end up in the hockey world, it's uh, it's a success in my world. So uh, Idris, I just want to thank you again for taking some time to join me tonight and, and talk about the podcast or, and, and the topic of capology and with it being such a different area and one that interests me immensely. Uh, it was very exciting to talk about it. So uh, thanks again. And I wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you so much, Ryan. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, not a problem. Take care. Take care. I'd like to thank Idris for taking the time to talk about capology and its importance in the game today. Being the first guest in this area, he gave us an entry point and a lot of information to build off of, so for that I'd like to thank him once again. If you would like to get in touch with Idris to discuss his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Marc-Andre Dumont former QMJHL general manager and head coach. Mark has a wealth of experience in junior hockey and gave some great insight on dealing with players looking to move into the NHL, including a particular success story, so you'll definitely want to hear this one on Sunday. As always, thank you to everyone for supporting the podcast, and be sure to let us know what you thought about the episode and what you want to hear moving forward. As always, stay safe, and all the best.